Students in Book Club. My name is James. And I'm Marco Sparks. Welcome back, Marco. How are you feeling right now, Marco? Fantastic. Ready to talk about Neil Stevenson. Excellent. This was uh, episode three of the podcast. We'll be talking about chapters 11 through 15 of Snow Crash. Uh, we don't have any follow-up yet because we're recording all these in advance. None of them are live yet, but mm-hmm. in theory, I don't know. We well, do like a month's worth and then start putting them out. Sure. Uh, if you so, want, so the follow-up is that you all love this. Yeah. If you'd like to get in touch with us, have any comments, uh, in the email address, you can hit us up at, as a NSBC, like Neil Stevenson Book Club, NSBC at headcanon.org. And that email address is set up now. It works. Cool. Um, and as, as mentioned previously, if you like the podcast, you'd like to support us. We have a book of our own or books of our own that we wrote. Uh, they're not at all Neil Stevenson style books at all. They're like teen murder mysteries. But if you go to my name is trouble.com, you can check out our wares there. Sadly, there's no opportunity to really work a dentata into those books. I mean, I don't think dentatas exist in real life as far mm-hmm. as I know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, yeah, let's Maybe get... you're not meeting the right girls. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> oh, I actually do have one piece follow up from my own research. Um, Tajikistan is a real place. They're using oh, like shit. an alternate spelling uh, oh, in, the, in the book. So yeah. <laughs> Marco's canceled now. How am I canceled? <laughs> Did I write this book? All right. Uh, chapter 11, we're going to learn about the rat thing. Do you have any like kind of overall thoughts on this section? Um, it's, it's interesting. Like I said, from my headcanon about like him just like running naked and wild into this book. And then finally he's like, oh, I got to start actually setting up a world. I mean, we're continuing with like big info dumps so and we're not even at the biggest one but i mean oh, it's like one of these cha- yeah. one of the, yeah one of these chapters is just like here's a bunch of newspaper articles and video clips of l bob rife which is like somewhat unmotivated i was like looking through it i'm like wait why exactly does he decide right now to start investigating l bob rife and i couldn't really find the thread no and, and, and we really have no concept yet of who l bob rife is but here's mm-hmm. a fucking backstory on him we know he was at the <sighs> black sun yeah um, yeah but otherwise there there wasn't and we know that um Juanita mentioned him briefly at some point but that's well, she specifically it. called out like there's a bunch of video clips of yeah. L. bob rife in this info dump yeah mm-hmm. but yeah chapter 11 a nice short chapter um so so david's been kicked has been hacked and thrown out of the black sun all the other hackers just kind of gawk hero turns his head and turns his head over to the rockstar quadrant wanting a good look at sushi k's hairdo um, runs into a Japanese businessman of two swords. They bow to each other, admire each other's swords. And then from the book, uh, this is what your avatar wears. You do not carry such weapons in reality, the businessman says in English. I'm sorry to be difficult. I do I do carry such weapons in reality, Hero says. So it's an interesting thing. They they bow to each other, but Hero bows to the guy and it says the businessman does the much, much less polite thing. He looks Hero rather carefully up and down, then returns the bow, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and Hero offers to you know like please feel free to converse in Nipponese if you prefer, and the guy like you know keeps going in English. Like this guy clearly doesn't really like Hero, and um, and it's like Hero, he's, Hero says Hero knows the subtext here. Why? What do you use those swords for, boy? Slicing watermelon? Like there's definitely like some mixed race like racial tension going on here. Yeah, uh, the man wants to know what Hero is doing with these swords. Hero says that his father won them in single combat with a Nipponese officer. And that his father was a truck driver in the war. Uh, the incident took place outside a prisoner war camp when the father tried to escape another prisoner. Um, the Nipponese man does not think this was honorable and is planning on removing these swords from Hero in the same fashion. I thought it was uh, interesting that um, when Hero says, oh, this was late in the war and the camp was just outside Nagasaki, like the mention of Nagasaki, like the businessman chokes red and nearly loses it. Like, yeah. like I don't know, it's been much longer now you know, since uh, the bombing in Nagasaki than it was in the early 90s. I wonder, I, I think I was too young to really know if that carried a sort of like cultural weight, like if it would be insulting to even mention that, you know, to a person from Japan. So I had a teacher in high school. We went to the same high school. Uh, I don't know if you ever actually had this teacher for one of your classes, but he he knew you. He thought you were Ponsko. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And he white guy just fyi <laughs> yeah a white guy who who really wanted to 
let you know that he was he was one of the good ones and would constantly tell us these stories that we were not equipped to appreciate i think in sophomore uh civics or, or history um about how he was dating a japanese woman and that he would constantly sit with her grandfather and just like you know apologize for the bomb and the war and everything i don't know if that guy's really a great uh example to go on for you know the the cultural situation at the time but i think also in this reality in this world the story takes place in japan is like a much greater influence on the world yeah. and so maybe it like you know, like maybe like to America, like we didn't know this whole time that every time we like mentioned Nagasaki, it's like super insulting the Japanese yeah. and we're just like fucking clueless. But in this world where they're like the Japanese are like a little bit more prominent, it's like more understood. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I find this whole section really interesting to see the way that Hiro, he, he walks in so many worlds and yet he's sort of like not welcome in any of them. Like mm-hmm. he's like this really high level status hacker and yet like... He's not part More of the Black Sun. He got fired. He's kind of like, you know, scraping by, getting scraps. Um, he's obviously part Japanese. He speaks Japanese. But uh, this businessman, like, you know, can't stand him, is like insulted by him, you know. So, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, different like mixed race tensions going on here uh, because of, of Hero and who he is and um, just kind of like his his class position. So it's, he's, it makes for a, a good main character, I think. He's cyberpunk Rodney Dangerfield. He gets no respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so just then, Hero realizes that people have gathered around to watch, having realized that there's going to be a fight. Um, there's a great quote from the book. The businessman turns out to have a lot of zenshin. Translating this concept into English is like translating fuckface into Japanese, but it might translate into emotional intensity in football lingo. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, later on, he says, the word zenshin is larded down with a lot of other folder all that you have to be Nipponese to understand. And Hero yeah. thinks, frankly, that most of it is pseudomystical crap on the same level as his old high school football coach exhorting his men to play at 110%. And yeah. so, I mean, and I feel like this is, one might be tempted to say, well, Hero says this, so like it's correct. But I think you can also interpret like Hero's perspective here is like, this is just like where he's coming from because he clearly has not been embraced by Japanese culture, it doesn't seem like. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's maybe apt to like, it's like there are parts of the culture he's interested in, but like he's not like, you know, fully committed to it. And so like he, he probably has certain opinions about it. Like he mentions like um, Kendo and how like, oh, it's like to real samurai sword fighting what, you know, fencing is to real swashbuckling is, you know, and it's, he, he would always like he would he wouldn't get points because he didn't have enough sanction from the judges. And it's like, well, maybe they were just judging in that way because he's mixed race. You know, like he can definitely see like some resentment on Hero's side here. Well, and as a writer. You want your character to be an outsider. It's the perfect place to observe all parties. Mm-hmm. You know, if he was, if he but, was, but I think you should also Nipponese, always be aware story. that he he has his own perspective. His perspective isn't necessarily correct. Well, I mean, yeah. you think the guy who calls himself the deliberator? Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, <laughs> I think you're right. Um, but yeah, so like the, the there's a long, great passage that we're not going to quote here. But at the end of it. Hero doesn't have any Zanshin at all. He just wants this over with. Uh, and so he basically have a fight. He basically crossed between Anakin Skywalker and Black Knights, this guy from Monty Python's Holy Grail. <laughs> he cuts his legs off and then his head off, yeah. This might be what uh, uh, Carrie was threatens to do in uh, Princess Bride. <laughs> and he, he Hero directly after he like cuts this guy's legs off, he starts like doing like this kind of southern hick accent and being like, well, land sakes, looky here, you know, better fire mm. up the old barbecue, Jemima. Like he's he's like, yeah, I know exactly what you think of me and I'm showing you the stereotype just to st- shove it in your face, basically. Uh, great bit about how it takes a lot of work to make your avatar work like a human body in the metaverse, but all that skill goes out the window when you've lost your legs. Yes. Um, then he leans down and says to the guy, didn't anyone tell you that I was a hacker? And he hacks the guy's head off. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says the word safe, which like creates like a large safe, like appears like at a Looney Tunes and like smashes on this guy's head and like sends it down to hell, like the nether region. Like the only, uh, the only charity on top that would make the joke work even better if it said Acme in huge letters yeah. on the side. <laughs> and we, did, um, we, we learn like what happens to a person if they get, you know, defeated by, you know, in a sword fight within the metaverse. And it's that like they get disconnected and it's like somewhere 
you know, this guy's like tearing his like, you know, headset off, like wherever he is in like Los Angeles or Tokyo or something. The first class yeah. lounge at LATH. Yeah. yeah. Los Angeles, Tokyo hypersonic. Yeah. And the, the screen on the metaverse will helpfully inform him that he's, uh, it shows like a, a leaderboard and it'll inform him he's currently ranked 863 out of 890 people who've ever participated in a Ford fight, sword fight in the Black Sun. Number one, the name and the photograph on top of the list belongs to Hiroyuki protagonist. Hiro- Hirohito protagonist, yeah. Not Hirohito, it's Hiroyuki. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, then my ebook copy. I, I, this is a legit ebook straight from Apple Books. Yeah, it's H I R O A K I. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, so then uh, I got a problem because I've been half reading the real book and then half using this ebook copy I have. I should check the published book. Yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah, so it's the fun, short, ridiculous chapter. He just has a little sword fight that he wins because he's such a badass, you know? Yeah. Um, chapter 12 here. We're learning about the Ing Security Industries Semi-Autonomous Guard Unit number A367, which is so a we get rat a, thing. A chapter half written from the perspective of a robot guard dog uh, and then half written from YT. And it's this, I don't know, like this... You know, if you're an animal lover, I feel like this, this, the stuff from the dog's perspective about his little dog house that he lives in and everything and how he's so excited. Basically, this dog runs on excitement and it burns red hot. Well, and it, like this dog lives in the, his own little metaverse where porterhouse steaks grow on trees dangling at head level from low branches and blood drenched frisbees fly through the crisp, cool air for no reason at all until he catches them. It's just like <laughs> dog heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so then we will switch to YT's perspective as the rat thing charges out. Uh, well, we do get some interesting drivers. perspective on the rat thing. It's He knows that there's a, a fence. He, he knows he can't jump over the fence. He's never actually tried to jump it, but he knows he can't. And, yeah. and it's like he and the other nice doggies, they bark whenever a stranger comes into the yard or even near it. The stranger doesn't hear him, but all the other doggies in the pack do. And mm. um, so this time he's barking himself. So two people come in. This made him excited because they came in very fast. Their hearts were beating very quickly and they're sweating and they smell scared. He looked at these two people to see if they were carrying bad things. The little one, YT, is carrying things that are a little naughty. I like that description, but not really bad. The big one is carrying some pretty bad things, but he knows somehow that the big one is okay. He belongs in this yard. He is not a stranger. He lives here and the little one is his guest. Uh, he senses the, the taxi drivers that have shown up are carrying like some guns and like uh, it's like there's like descriptions of like magnums and hollow points and all that shit you know the the so we're getting half of yt's perspective because she's she's the newcomer here in, mm-hmm. in hong kong and she's like seeing this for the first time and the way it's written here is hero turns and grins at her his teeth are very white and straight he has a sharp grin a carnivore's grin i found that interesting that he's yeah, like gun- enjoying this yeah guns are illegal in hong kong remember he says to her so uh long story short the rat thing has those guns now um, well, the rat thing it says is propelled on white, a white hot jet of pure feral emotion. So it's not, this isn't like this coldly calculating robot. This is some sort of weird cyborg that is using, presumably like this was once like an actual organic dog. It's like using that dog's like limited psyche to, I don't know, motivate it in a way that a robot wouldn't be motivated is, is I guess like what I'm getting here. Like it's not just a robot. It's like, it's organic. You're going to fight harder for things that you generally care about, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, the, the, it's over. The taxi drivers have left. YT considers fucking hero in the back of the taxi they stole and even taking out the dentata to do so. But then she figures anyone who helped her break out of the clink probably has scruples about fucking a 15-year-old. So I, I think this is the first time we learned that she is 15 years old. Also, the word boffing is hilarious to me. <laughs> Remember boffing? That was yeah. a, a word we used to use back I in the 90s. I think she... Well, I, yeah, I think the actual age. Yeah, we know that she's a teenager from her. Interaction we know she's a teenager, but we're yeah. reading here. She's 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she mentions that she called her boyfriend, but he didn't come through. Uh, and hero guesses that another thrash. That's another thrasher and warns her that he made the same mistake once, which is mixing business with pleasure and going out with a colleague. I like how she says, yeah, I see what you mean. She's not exactly sure what a colleague is. Like, <laughs> I, we're, as we learn more about YT. Like, I, I think we start to grasp a picture of like someone who's like very worldly and like very like in some ways mature for her age, but is also a 15 year old who's like naive to a lot of stuff, too. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and and a good counterpoint to to hero. And like when she offers to be partners with him, 
he she's expecting him to laugh, but he's like, oh, same thing occurred to me, but I had to think about how it work. And so she's astounded that he was actually be thinking this. Then she gets the sap factor under control and realizes he's waffling. He's probably lying. This is probably going to end with him trying to get her into bed. And so it's like yeah. she has some awareness, even as she's naive, that like she is being naive. So then suddenly she's hitting the ribs because the taxi drivers have thrown a hand grenade at her, but she's saved by the rat thing. They never, ever stop moving. So no one ever knows what they look like, except for Hero and YT right now. Well, because it um, like it presumably like raced out because the, the, the rat thing, by the way, is like supersonically fast. Like all they see is a blur. And then it's like the taxi driver's like pant leg is missing because it like it like didn't injure these guys in any way. It just like completely ripped the gun like right out of their pocket. You know, yeah. but with the grenade there, the, the rat thing went and grabbed the grenade and didn't make it all the way back to it's like a little doghouse. It like basically blew up halfway there. And so yeah. it's all like kind of fucked up and ragged. And it's like nobody ever sees this because they're so fast, but they're seeing it here. Hero exclaims, Jesus H. Christ. And YT realizes he's never seen one of these things before either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has trouble getting up because, you know, it's just eating a, a grenade. That blew up inside of it. So she goes to help it. You know, Hero warns her against it, says, you know, it has animal parts, so it's unpredictable and dangerous. But she's like, I like animals. So she keeps uh, walking. Yeah, I like that. Like, Hero's just like, don't. And it's just like, she does. Yeah. And like, he's like, it might be unpredictable. She likes animals. She keeps walking. Uh, uh, it has little wings, isotopes that generate heat and power, a radiator, but right now it's not cooling itself off. Um, he's taking this all in, or she's taking this all in his intel because she sees a lot of his intel. Sees it's damaged well, be, because her and and um, Hero have talked about partnering up at, on like an intel thing where like they can like you know they'll both gather intel and like sell it like as like a partnership. So I think she's now thinking like, oh, I'm like I'm like a spy now. You know, I'm I'm gathering intel with my new partner. It's kind of like where her mind is. And so the thing's bleeding because some part of it's alive. Uh, and she's giving, you know, while, while investigating, she's giving Hero some shit for uh, saying he needs to think about it when she offers him partnership. So she drags the thing inside the franchise office where there's a uh, portrait of Mr. Lee and a welcome message, which is long, but quite interesting. Um, and a spiel about how getting a slight citizenship in Hong Kong, you sign up this month and fill out a coupon, you get the usual 100,000 fee or 100,000 K, you know, fee waived. Um, Oh God, I, I just I keep writing down whole quotes from this book because it's such a fascinating bit of world building the way he sets everything up. Yeah, but, I like how she talks about when she um she realizes this like poor rat thing dog is like burning itself alive. And so she like grabs it by the front legs and it like it reacts like kind of like you know, tensing its muscles and it's exactly like grabbing a dog by the front legs and asking it to dance. And so as she does this, she like suddenly like gets more confident. She's like, jerk, like I stick my neck out and say I want to be your partner. And you say you want to think about it. What's your problem? I'm not good enough to work with you. Uh, yeah. So like she's, you know, getting finding some some confidence and some attitude for Hero here. Hero, I think he like just lost his job as like a deliverator like a half hour or two ago. You know, right? Like this is all that that same night of the uh, the aborted delivery attempt there. Mm-hmm. We ended up in the pool. Um, we get to mention that she's small enough to fit through the doggy door. Uh, that's mm-hmm. another thing she can do that Hero can't. Um, so Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong is not affiliated with actual Hong Kong. Uh, the mafia shows up and we we learn that the mafia is the nice vet um, and that the rat thing is excited to go to the nice vet and tell the other dog. No, the mafia the is not a vet. Isn't the mafia the, the nice no, vet? No, the mafia is just going? like spying on them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the nice, the rat thing's excited to go with the nice vet um, and tell the other dog is about the bad strangers and how it got hot, how hot it got. And the nice girl took him back to the cool house. So Hero agrees with the partnership, a 50-50 split for any intel she digs up. And she remembers that he's into the 3Ms, including music. So she asks if he's ever heard of Vitaly Chernobyl in the meltdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, real quick, I just want to rewind about Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong. It, like in the description of it, it says the potentials of all ethnic races and, and anthropologies to merge under a banner, the three principles to follow information, information, information. It's number one. Number two is totally fair marketing, marketeering. And number three is strict ecology. I've been mm-hmm. peerless in the history of economic strife. So it's like, I don't know. It, it makes me wonder like if you, if your government completely collapsed and there were just like kind of like random quasi nation states without land kind of that you could join. I guess they do have land, but just like small pieces of land. It's like, who would you join? You know? And it's like, this seems to be like 
hero is pretty into this. It's like they, they embrace all ethnic races and anthropologies. They're all mm-hmm. about like information, ecology, like, you know, like economic strife. Like it seems like this is like a pretty, it's, it's kind of like the quasi libertarian dream of like, these are just like, you know, like a, a wholesome nation state, uh, that, is uh you know racially diverse but isn't putting any restrictions on anyone kind of thing you know but they do it the hong kong way which is with robots but like yeah. uh as we heard last time there's you know we heard why you can't why they can't for one reason the two of them can't go to the other burb claves or mm-hmm. franchulates so yeah this would be the the best of a lot of options yeah and it's advertising to apply for a passport and this month the usual fee of 100 hong kong bucks will be kindly neglected so it seems like you could become a citizen for nothing. I guess it's just like how much you, you get to come inside their franchlets. I imagine if you wanted to buy like a house there or something, you'd have to pay for that, mm-hmm. but you're like allowed to be there at least. I'm sure they have an HOA. That's, that's I mean, I wonder, can one be a citizen of multiple I, I assume franchises? So. Like, could you be a member of this and also like rainbow Heights or one of the other ones, you know, I, I assume so. I, I assume that's, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's any MO. There's no overall governing body. So what's to stop you, I guess? Yeah. Uh, Unless unless one franchise decided that they like, if they knew you were a member of another one, they'd like kick you out of theirs or something, I guess. Probably just charge you a a fee of some sort. Yeah. Um, So they separate. She skates off, pooning her way along. She gets to McDonald's inside. She changes in the bathroom. She changes out of her Radix outfit and pulls out her normal girl clothes, which is a, Floral blouse, pleated skirt, underwear from Vicky's, the leather shoes, the necklace, the earrings, and even a fucking purse. <laughs> she now looks exactly like she did when she had breakfast with her mother this morning. Uh, well, she's doing all this at a McDonald's where she like hides her her normal you know, like civvy clothes like in the ceiling of the bathroom, like in a drop ceiling. So like she does this seemingly every day that she goes out for her job as like a thrashing radicus courier. There's like the the other side of her persona, which is like this nice girl who wears a dress and is going home to see her mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes down to the next burb clay, which is Blooming Greens, where it's legal to have a skateboard, but not legal to set it down on the concrete. So she has to carry it. She goes back home. Mom is in the den on her computer. Mom works for the feds. Doesn't make much money, but the feds have to work hard to prove their loyalty, including taking weekly polygraph tests. Um, yeah, she sees that her mom's left arm. She's like has a a fresh bruise on it and she's like icing her elbow just from the constant like blood pressure cuff, like polygraph tests that she has to take, which sounds pretty awful. Yeah. And I like how YT, like, like when her mom says, is that you? Like YT retreats in the kitchen. So she won't surprise her mother and says, yeah, mom, how's your day? It's like, she like comes back in. So she doesn't like startle her. Then YT grabs a beer, goes to start a bath. We hear it makes a roaring sound that relaxes her, like the white noise generator in mom's nightstand. I mean, it's a fascinating glimpse at just what the modern suburban family looks like, especially with a single parent working hard to provide for their child, but like maybe a little unaware what their baby's up to. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do get a little bit of timeline detail here. YT is the one who gives Hero the tip about Vitaly Chernobyl and the meltdowns. She's like, oh, you ever heard of this? Uh, these guys knows it a band. Yeah, it's the greatest band. You should check it out. It's going to be the next mm-hmm. big thing. So this is that's where he gets the idea. Like, it, like the timeline's all chopped up here because like all this stuff with the Black Sun and whatnot, that's all like a month in the future, basically. We will actually find out in this episode, but it's mm-hmm. 36 days. Yeah. Um, so chapter 13. Chapter 13. We're back in the Black Sun again. Uh, talking about how like when you cut an avatar up, like you just see like uh, it says you can look in, into the aperture of the sword cut and see instead of bones and meat, the back of the skin on the other side. And so it's like it's like the avatars are just these hollow shells. And this breaks the metaphor and avatar not acting like a real body. It reminds all the Black Sun's patrons that they are living in a fancy world. People hate to be reminded of this. And so heroes yeah. like written some special literal like demons that come out to like, you know, shuffle away the body into like the netherworld uh, to like get rid of all that. Well, also, he, he wrote the sword fighting algorithms that the rest of the metaverse later adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is the disparity between the real and the artificial. Also, we do get just, I feel like this could be important later. Um, when the user, uh, they, it takes a few minutes for them to be able to log back into the metaverse because you can't be in two places at the same time in the metaverse. So mm-hmm. your avatar has to be destroyed 
before you can come back. It's like these little demons have to take his avatar down to the basement and like burn it and destroy it in a fire. And only then could you log back in. So in theory, if one gets, you know, quote unquote killed in the metaverse, you're going to be stuck outside for a few minutes. The idea that, that, Literally within the metaverse, there is a coded thing where the the graveyard demons are throwing your your parts into a pyre, like like it's not just like like they go into the floor and you know one yeah. zero one zero one zero you're 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 back like it's fascinating to me. Um, yeah, it all happens in a tunnel system below the black sun, uh, which is only accessible to the graveyard demons and incidentally to Hero, but he rarely uses it. So I feel like that could be important later too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the black sun looks weird to Hero. Then suddenly, as if it's being projected through gauze, he takes off his goggles and discovers he's now actually in the parking lot of his storage unit, holding one of his katanas. And, and Vitaly is standing there waiting for him. I like how it says a naked katana, which, like, it—I mean, it means like you know an unsheathed, unsheathed katana, but it yeah. kind of draws to mind the idea of Hero like standing there naked, like, and it's like a bunch of people are watching him, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's like holding a sword, you know. But it's 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 primal. It's passionate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't you don't just pull a sword out and wave it around mm-hmm. like it's nothing. You got to feel it. But yeah, it's time to go. Vitaly says, "Did you win your sword fight?" And Hero says, "Of course, I won the fucking sword fight. I'm the greatest sword fighter in the world." And Vitaly says, "And you wrote the software." And Hero says, "Yeah, that too." <laughs> <laughs> so okay, the metaverse. Mm-hmm. When you're you got your goggles and your headphones on, but it's not a matter of like I'm just sitting there, you know mentally computer projected wise doing all this sometimes you're feeling it and you're moving it's unclear i guess i don't know if we've gotten information (laughs) in this yet on exactly how they move around Uh like does can one sword fight in the metaverse without literally pulling out a sword in real life and swinging it around or does Uh, hero just do that because he's hero you know i mean the the connection between the real and the not i mean there's a point in the 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 stuff talking about last week where what is it? He's like sipping his, he's like swishing his drink around in his mouth. And for mm-hmm. a moment, he might choke because he forgot that I need to swallow this while also in this moment in the metaverse. I mean, in, in um, Ready Player One, they had the whole like special gloves they wore and whatnot and the treadmill to run on. I don't think we get any of that here. Or at least we haven't been introduced to it yet. So we don't know how one exactly controls. He mentions at one point that it's hard to walk around the, in the metaverse. Like it takes practice to move like a real human would move. Mm-hmm. So we get a little, little breakdown on the history of Vitaly Chernobyl and the meltdowns coming to California and the thrashers that they met up with. Uh, Vitaly has an old VW van that is technically partially heroes now since Vitaly owes hero more money than the van is worth. And the van is called Vanagon. Uh, so they, they drive the van around to the other side of the used store. It. Um, I like how it uh, describes like the, it's like Vitaly Chernobyl. Like it's like, these are like Soviet refugees. who like came to Southern California and like went searching for like barren, like concrete wastelands to like perform mm-hmm. their art in. They like, they need it for their like fuzz grunge collectives or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like the acoustics. Which honestly sounds better to me than speed reggae. Oh, that sounds God awful. Uh, <laughs> quick mention of just like the floor at a part of the used store. It says floor needs sweeping, used syringes, crack vials, charred spoons pipe stems there are also many little tubes about thumb size transparent plastic with a red cap on one end they might be crack vials but the caps are still on them and pipe heads wouldn't be so fastidious as to replace the lid on an empty vial it must be something new hero hasn't heard of before the mcdonald's styrofoam burger of box of drug containers so these red caps will come up later yeah also great uh just kind of non-sequitur here everything looks the same in america there are no transitions now yeah yeah um, so on this other side of the U store, uh, Vitaly has a five by 10 storage unit that's used for its original purpose storage, which has his like speakers and amps, which they load into the Vanagon and drive off to the concert. He mentions since, the, um, the, the empty carts that they use to, to like move stuff around. So it's technically the carts are community property, but nobody believes that. <laughs> uh, since the drive is long, especially since Vitaly drives slow, he doesn't believe in the American God of speed. So Hero puts on his gaggles and jacks into the cigarette lighter and enters the metaverse. And it's a slower connection. His avatar would look silly to anyone else. And since he might be vain because he's a hacker, the hacker, uh, it's not so bad, though, because he's just going into his office, which is in his house off the street. Which is like mostly in his computer, I, I believe. So it's like yeah. he's he's jacked in like via Wi-Fi, basically to the metaverse, which like did Wi-Fi even exist in 92? Or, this, or this is another like Neil Stevensonism? Like a cellular connection. 
Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, um, but he's he's just like in his office, which is all stored on his own computer. So it's like he can he can mess around in his own office at least, like rather than like try to go out to the street. Which is where the the library file that he downloaded is located. Mm-hmm. So that works out well. Um, and we get a kind of description of his office, which has a very uh, Nipponese <laughs> feel with the tatami mats and the rough sewn mahogany. Um, it's got steelhead trout and a babbling brook. Yeah. Technically speaking, it should be full of carp, but he's American enough to think carp is inedible dinosaurs that sit on the bottom and eat sewage. If yeah. you could if you could design like your own office in the metaverse, you can have anything in there basically, like you know, your imagination's a limit. Like what would you go for? Just like an old, like kind of library, you know, leather and mahogany so, vibe. So this is just my office. Yeah. Okay. Not like my home or my just your my... office, yeah. Because right, presumably your office could be completely different from the rest of your home you like open a door and it's like a completely different environment right right um see it's tricky because i want parts i want it to be the the potential for a very large room mm-hmm. i also want parts of it to be very snug hmm. so like it would have to be almost not like a cubicle but like some kind of snug space so that i want to look past and see my long rows that's of interesting library so shows. you, you want to be kind of hemmed in at the same time uh yeah a little bit i mean there's a certain point when I need to, I don't know, people who, who have the window in front of them when they're working, mm-hmm. I, I find that fascinating. I almost want at times to have my back to the window hmm. so I can like, like I can control the distractions. What about you? What do you got? I mean, I like the idea of like the kind of old study in like a castle type thing, you know, like high bookshelves. Mm-hmm. Um I would definitely just want like a massive mahogany desk, you know, mm. like the idea of that. Um, I don't know if I'd want anything like too crazy. I mean, I guess it'd be cool to have like a little like, I don't know. Would you get annoyed if there's like a babbling fountain next to you or something like that? You know, that yeah, distracting. Really yeah, yeah. yeah really. I mean, the same thing for like wind chimes. Mm-hmm. I, I The feature I would put in for my bookshelves is I don't think it's practical for me to get on that stupid little rolling ladder. Oh yeah. So since it's since it's a fantasy world, I would almost want to do the thing where like I say the name of the book, I put my hand up, and it just like flies into my hand off the mm. shelf like a like a Jedi. You could do that, yeah. Yeah, why not? So speaking of that, uh, there's a floating globe of the Earth there suddenly in his office, which is new software that CIC has, <laughs> which will keeps, become Google Earth IRL. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's basically to keep track of of all their spatial info globally. Um, it's not something he owns, but it's something he's been thinking about buying a subscription to someday when he makes enough money. But now here it is. So he assumes that Juanita got it for him in the, uh, the info dump. Yeah. Free of charge. Yeah. Um, uh, and then he's also has like a, just like a nude door, like a rice people panel in the wall opens up and there's like a whole ass other room in there that wasn't there before. Apparently Juanita came in and made some uh, major additions to his house. Uh, that's that's the the library download. I, that I kind of love the idea that you could download something and it just puts a new room in your house. Yeah, complete with a librarian, Damon, who's yeah. just like this kind of like you know fifty-ish, like kind of bearded old guy who's kind of chipper and and useful and isn't isn't like it's not like an artificial intelligence. It's just like a, a cleverly coded program that can kind of pretend to be a real person. Yeah, he can't summarize things for you. It's the the librarian is the only piece of CIC software that costs even more than the Earth. The only thing you can't do is think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Hero asks the librarian if Babel was a city in Babylon. Get ready for the download. Yeah, he says it's a legendary city. Librarian says Babel is a biblical term for Babylon. The word is Semitic. Bab means gate and El means God. So Babel means gate of God, which is probably somewhat monopeic, imitating someone who speaks an incomprehensible tongue. The Bible is full of puns. So he's like, oh, so they built a tower to heaven and God knocked it down. And we get a, we get a long thing of describing the literal, you know, uh, biblical translated by the Greeks version of what the Bible says and what was most likely. Yeah, basically that the God didn't do anything to the tower itself. He confused the people's speech so that they wouldn't understand each other. Um, and so, like, Project they just highest. stopped working on the tower. Yeah. And that, and that it wasn't actually a tower. It was more of a facility and the... the well, it could the have actual... been a tower, but not, it wasn't like... People think of it as like, oh, it's a tower reaching all the way to heaven. It'd be like this massive structure. But it's like... True. true. We don't know the shape, but the mm-hmm. the term means that the, it had the, its heavens, or the top was in the heavens. And what that actually meant in the ziggurats was that they would tend to paint heavenly scenes at the top. Yeah. And so it, it's like, actually, like we have found these like structures, you know, archaeologists have found them here and there. So... 
Um, we get an interesting uh, line about um, Juanita and like her like system belief here. Um, Cause the hero's thinking that like, Oh, well, the tower, the whole tower myth is like bogus or whatever. And he says, provably false. Juanita believes that nothing is provably true or provably false in the Bible, because if it's provably false then the Bible is a lie. And if it's provably true, then the existence of God is proven and there's no room for faith. The Babel story is provably false because if there is a tower that if they built a tower to heaven and God didn't knock it down, then it would still be around somewhere or at least a visual remnant of it. Uh, so I, yeah. I found that an interesting insight into Juanita where it's like the, the faith is important to her, not the, the facts part of thing. Like it's not, you're not in her interpretation. You're not supposed to be able to prove any of it's real. And yet her, her, her new religion that she's building is, is built on basically uh, finding uh, common ground with the atheists, the smart atheists. Yeah. Um, so hero says, it finds it interesting that basically this, this group, you know, all the, all the people who built the tower of Babel had an informational disaster and had to stop work on the project. And then from the book, we get the librarian saying disaster is an astrological term meaning bad star. Sorry, but due to my internal structure, I'm a sucker for non sequiturs. Uh, we find out that the person who coded the librarian was named Dr. Emmanuel Lagos. Yeah. And then seemingly unprompted, Hero's just like, all right, give me everything you got that's free on El Bob Rife. I mean, I guess it's just because Juanita mentioned earlier that she had a lot of info on him. So Hero's mm-hmm. just like, all right, let's give, give him the download. I mean, he, well, before- he knew that El Bob Rife was at the Black Sun, but otherwise he hasn't really come up at all. Right. Before we should say real quick that uh, Lagos is not a professional hacker. He was a researcher at the Library of Congress. Uh, and so Hero assumes that he's one of the, the CIA spooks that got like, like molded into or folded into the CIC. Mm-hmm. The librarian says it doesn't think he ever worked for the CIA. Um, I like the yeah, give me everything you got in El Bob Rife with emphasis on free. And the librarian's like, oh, so newspapers and TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get a little bit more of a description of the earth program and it's it's unlike google earth it's like live updating i think Mm -hmm. is what's supposed to be so it's like you can get exactly what the earth looks like from like a a point in geosynchronous orbit directly above la and he can like zoom in and you know he sees like something flying around looks like a gnat it's like a satellite in space Mm -hmm. you know it's like it all sounds pretty cool um and then like almost like too quickly the librarian's like all right here's everything he's like that was pretty fast like how could you do all that when I'm barely online? He's like, oh, it's it's all all already here because, you know, we've been searching for it. Um, so also, the librarian spooks him at one point because he just appears, and he he programs in audio footfalls whenever the librarian approaches. Yeah. Um, yeah. So chapter fourteen, basically, we get the fuck ton about El Bob Rife, who's basically Ross Perot. Um, I don't. Does Ross Perot have like a cable connection though it's like if ross perot owned comcast and was like I mean, pure evil i i guess i i'm i'm pulling it primarily from the fucking infomercial study would do yeah i guess the infomercial thing there's i mean i i, I think you could say perot was probably one of the inspirations but mm. l bob rife character is far more sinister i think than, yeah. than ross perot ever was i mean this guy he's like uh He's like a monopolist of both oil and like like broadband internet telecommunications yeah. with like a, a heavy emphasis on like fundamental religion. And and like he, he just seems like pure evil. He's like if you ask like a person from Generation X, you know, which Neil Stevenson we are both part of, like who's the give me your like idea of like just the most evil person in the world. And you'd say, OK, a hyper religious, you know, like monopolist who owns the internet, basically. Yeah. And who who wants to limit what people can do on the network? Well, and and one of those guys who is so blatantly rich and evil, he doesn't even like dress it up. I mean, he does PR to like make himself and his interests look good, but he like openly flouts like, yeah, I'm a monopolist. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so get some background. L. Bob Rife majored in communications, went to college on a football scholarship. Um, Went into business with his great uncle, a financier with roots in the oil business. Great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a description of like the various money that El Bob Rife has donated to various um, different churches, all run by Reverend Wayne Bedford. And it's like they keep getting bigger. At first, it's like, oh, 500 bucks to this church and then 2,500 bucks to this youth league thing. And then 150,000 to the Church of the New Trinity. You know, two point three million to Rife Bible College, and it's just like it keeps getting bigger and bigger until it's like a hundred million to the computer science department of this college, 
And Hero asks, did these donations take place before hyperinflation? And Librarian says, yes, sir. They were, as the expression goes, real money. So mm-hmm. basically, in this Wayne Bedford guy, this is the Reverend Wayne who runs Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates, which is like this like church franchise, I guess would be the best way to describe mm-hmm. it. And so it's like... Mentioned briefly previously, yeah. yeah. L. Bob Rive owns the Pearly Gates franchise. Like yeah. in, in addition to the other shit. So he he's he basically owns like the main conduit of like fundamentalist Christianity. Mm-hmm. So there's articles from like the New York Times and the Economist because the Nipponese are keeping rife out of telecommunications. So he started running a bunch of PR about how the Nipponese were duplicitous schemers and like building up this anti-Japanese sentiment. <laughs> you just imagine some, I mean, it's very like Elon Musk, I guess, just like yeah. some fucking asshole like billionaire is just like i'm mad that like these other guys won't do business with me so i'm just gonna spend a bunch of money running hit jobs on them in the media yeah i mean my the only thing missing is one the description of l bob rife has is, is incredibly bald and he had to get plugs yeah like like elon musk and then like him to call somebody a pedophile yeah uh at one point l bob rife uh he's bought a new yacht surplus from the u.s government that we find out is uss enterprise like aircraft carrier yeah uh, and he, he beat out General Jim's defense system and Admiral Bob's global security in a furious bidding war. So he's getting uh, all this from these like videos of Elbov Rife that he's like done. These like puff piece interviews he does, like mm-hmm. seemingly like funded by himself. And there's a great little anecdote here where Elbov Rife says, you know, there's a story that when Rockefeller bought himself a yacht, he bought a pretty small one, like a 70 footer or something small by the standards of the day. And when someone asked him why he went and bought himself such a dinky little yacht, he just looked at the guy and said, what do you think I am? A Vanderbilt? <laughs> anyway welcome aboard my yacht which is the uss enterprise i mean like the, the for the fucking rich like the standing on the shoulders of giants it's just like more rich people is all they have to look forward to or look up to um but yeah he's 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 waxing nostalgia about how powerful monopolies are and he tells a story about the time that they were splitting up mob bell at the same time he was building a cable tv empire and he compares it to you know like regulating uh, regular horses at the same time the model t and the airplane were on the rise and he kind of describes like um, the, the journalist who's interviewing says, but a cable TV system isn't the same as a phone system. And he says at that stage it wasn't because it was just a local system. But once you got get local systems all over the world, all you got to do is hook them together. And it's a global network just as big as a phone system, except this one carries information 10,000 times faster. So he's well, kind of fumbled his way into this massive monopoly on telecommunications. I think he's described as Lord of Bandwidth at some point. <laughs> and to the point where... In fact, the metaverse and the street exist on his network, which is why hackers would hate him because yeah. they need the you know bandwidth access to use mm-hmm. the metaverse. But this guy controls like the kind of infrastructure of it. And and there's some there's some very subtle writing that makes him seem even darker to me. I don't know this kind of hit me hard. Maybe not mm-hmm. you, but he's doing some like SETI shit where he's buying all these like large arrays of dishes and looking for radio signals from other planet. When he's asked why, he says. Well, I pretty much have this whole planet sewn up. Yeah, yeah. And it's this, like, God damn. No, reading, rereading this, I was just like, well, this is the most evil man who could ever exist. Like, this yeah. is this is like hyper tuned to my Gen X sensibilities to like despise this person. You know, yeah. like the the monopoly combined with like the religious fundamentalism. If only yeah. you had seen Contact starring Jodie Foster. Uh, there's a there's a bit throughout here where Hero talks about the value of having not just the actual broad news broadcast interviews, but also the outtakes. Which kind of gave me a weird flashback to the beginning of um, so Fahrenheit 9/11, which had that whole sequence of people getting ready before talking about the war on terror. Mm. Um, I like there's a part here where, um, like, at some point, a number of Rice programmers, um, the people who like you know ran his shit, like got together and formed a, uni- a union, which is unheard of for hackers, and they tried to file suit against them. Uh, and one of the examples it gives is that. Uh, one of his he like he'd installed like 24-hour surveillance on all his like workers and so one of his programmers and her husband engaged in oral sex in their own bedroom one night the next morning she was called into rice office where he called her a slut and a sodomite and told her to clean out her desk like that sort of totalitarian morality is is like terrifying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's it's very similar to shit happening with similar figures now yeah Um, there's a there's a great quote here I want to read where it's L. Bob Reif describing how he deals in information. He says, that means if you'll just follow my reasoning for a bit, that when I have a programmer working under me who's working with that information, he's wielding enormous power. Information is going into his brain and it's staying there. It travels with him when he goes home at night. 
gets all tangled up in his dreams for Christ's sake. He talks to his wife about it and God damn it. He doesn't have any right to that information. If I was running a car factory, I wouldn't let workers drive the cars home or borrow tools. That's why I do at five o'clock each day, all over, all over the world when my hackers go home from work. And so it's like, he wants control of these people's fucking brains, basically. Like, how dare you have access to anything from my business without my He's, say? He's uh, pitching the Apple TV show, Severance. Yeah, and he says, now, I can't say more because I got competition to worry about. But it's my fervent hope that in five or ten years, this kind of thing won't even be an issue. And this is like an old video. So, you know, yeah. it, it, it would seem now. to be five to ten years later. Yeah. So we see some footage of him years later. He's on the top of his aircraft carriage, which turns an open air refugee camp. It's swarming with Bangladeshis that have been rescued from the Bay of Bengal. When their country was washed into the ocean after a series of floods caused by the Indian deforestation upstream. I just love the term hydrological warfare. Yeah. And we find those the first beginnings of the raft as the, you know, in, in capital letters there. Well, I think we've heard about at least once before, but the raft is like just this like massive uh, ocean flotilla basically moving it's, people uh, around. 200 boats have glommed onto the enterprise hoping for a free ride across to america mm-hmm. and he has this this whole metaphor about the raft as a media event he's using to try and renew america um he's just called yeah. it biomass yeah it's like he's just gathering up you know a bunch of people and moving them and like you know dumping them all into los angeles to kind of feed the machine basically mm-hmm. um offers a metaphor about the labyrinth from the minotaur um and then Hero likes finding some of these outtakes in the interview of Rife on the raft and the refugees are speaking in tongues. Um, and then Hero's goggles are yanked off of his face by YT. She's basically hanging onto the side of the Vanagon. She's pooned them. I just love the idea that she's like gotten her hand in the window and just pulls yeah. his goggles off. <laughs> but a lot of the thrashers are pooning their way onto any car that they suspect is going to tonight's concert. Yeah, before we get to the concert, there's one last line I wanted to highlight from L. Bob Rife. He says an expression like that is, it, um, what was the expression? Um, biomass, I think, like a whale straining krill from the ocean. And the journalist is like, I've heard that expression. He's like, yeah, I made it up. An expression like that is just like a virus, you know. It's a piece of information, data that spreads from one person to the next. This is actually basically an early description. I don't know if it had been coined yet, but this is describing memetics. a meme. Yeah, yeah. memetics, um, which I, I don't know. The, so I think the way this I, is all entwined with like our current culture is kind of fascinating to me. Right. I, I think I was reading this book for the first time when we were first having utterances in popular culture about memes before mm-hmm. they are what they are now. And obviously the thing that I don't think either of you and I have said, but it's the obvious parallel that's, that's missing here is L Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other obvious. I mean that with the L too. <laughs> and the boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in your minds, feel free to just, just presume this is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Elrod <laughs> yeah. Rife. Um, so at the concert, there's two semi-flatbeds. One will be the stage. The other has the amp that the speaker set up on. I don't know. I just love this little passage. The drivers of the trucks, an impressive minority of two, have re- retreated into the cab of the sound truck to smoke cigarettes and glare bravely at the swarm of thrashers. They're sworn enemies in the food chain of the highways. They will not voluntarily come out until five in the morning when, they, when their way has been made play, playing again. Yeah, I think it's mentioned earlier by YT that um, beating traffic is her economic niche. Like that's yeah. that's the the kind of unique thing that she provides to the economy is being able to get through traffic quicker because she's on a skateboard. There's there's a a little bit of overlap. I mean, obviously not entirely with um, um, J.G. Ballard and especially his novel Crash, which isn't just about the sexual arousal of car crashes, but it's all about like analyzing traffic as this mm. powerful primal force of, of nature. Um, so meanwhile, Vit- Vitali is uh, doing some sound mixing. And I just love this last quote. Uh, Neil Stevenson nails the last sentences. There's just something powerful with them. He has to figure out how to sync the delays on all different speaker clusters to maximize the number of nasty clashing echoes. <laughs> yeah, he's like using... Uh, like 3D goggles, like just to to map like the soundscape of it. It's all part of yeah. the nuclear fudge grunge. So yeah, chapter 15 with the warm up band, Blunt Force Trauma. Good name for Van. Yeah. Uh, and it, this is from Heroes Perspective. And he says, YT's in there somewhere, but no point in trying to track her down. She'd be embarrassed anyway to be seen with an oldster like Hero. Yeah. Uh, so Blunt Force Trauma plays speed reggae, uh, influenced by the Meltdown's anti-technological ideas. They will play for about an hour. Which the only thing that means is you have to get through it because then you can look forward to hours of the meltdowns playing. Maybe Sushi K will show up. 
We find out that they're on Crypt's turf. The Crypt's wanted to provide security, but Hero, a student of Altamont, decided to take the risk of snubbing them. And he hired the Enforcers to do instead. So the Enforcers, if you recall, are like the badass, like special forces. Blackwater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a description that I won't read. It's because it's quite long, but he's describing the fringe crowd, which you could really use to describe a lot of LA culture mm-hmm. right yeah. now. <laughs> um, yeah, I like the, the, the description, description of, of the the enforcers how they they can make themselves bulletproof by just zipping up their windbreakers in the front. Yeah, well, the, they press a button on their lapel, and their logo goes all black, so which is like stealth. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking dark. <laughs> if um, they need to beat the shit out of somebody without anyone knowing that they're in the enforcers, basically. Yeah. Uh, there's a contingent of Crips there wearing suits, just showing their colors. Um, someone is out there in the crowd bouncing a laser off Hero's face, which is annoying. And then we get the description of a, of a gargoyle. I mean, it's quite long. I don't know if you want to read this. or Yeah, so um, the, the laser is coming from the gargoyle. Gargoyles are basically like people who like wear like these whole body computer rigs. So they can like just be con- they're kind of in the metaverse and in reality at the same time. They're just like constantly scanning everything and recording it and like looking up information. Um, Hero hates these guys like everybody hates these guys. There's nothing looks stupider. These get up to the modern day equivalent of the slide rule scabbard or the calculator pouch on a belt. Marking the users belonging to classes at once above and far below human society. <laughs> The example he gives about all the useless because the CIC hates these guys because they're Mm -hmm. constantly uploading sheer amounts of useless data. Too much useless data. The example he gives is imagine if you wrote down every single license plate you saw on your drive to work on the off chance that maybe one of them would be involved in a hit and run later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, these guys get kicked out of the company. But Uh, this guy hasn't been kicked out yet and he's got pretty good equipment. So he must actually be pretty good at his job. He's not just doing, you know, a mass upload of everything. Hero goes up to him and this guy sums him up pretty quickly. CIC Stringer for 11 months, specializing in the industry. Former hacker, security guard, pizza deliverer, concert promoter. <laughs> Which is essentially kind of what he is. It's like somehow yeah. he found Vitaly Chernobyl off of YT's tip and like started living with him. And it's like, I'm going to yeah. make you big. Do we actually get more about this? I, I, I love the idea that she just mentions the name Vitaly Chernobyl and then suddenly he's like all in. I'm, I'm not sure how much more Vitaly is in the story. I can't really remember. Yeah. But uh, we find out this gargoyle is Dr. Manuel Lagos, the guy who wrote The Librarian. Yeah. Um, and Hero's just like getting mad talking to this guy because he's like, it's like this guy's constantly like he's he's got goggles on. So he's like doing other shit while he's talking to Hero. And yeah. it's just like annoying and distracting. It says gargoyles are rude by definition. Yeah. They're no fun to talk to. They never finish a sentence. Um, yeah. He would love to take him out for a drink, but the guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah, for um, all these, you know, as Lagos is standing there measuring the length of Hero's cock through his trousers while they pretend to make conversation. Yeah. Uh, Lagos asks if he's here on the Raven thing or is he working the fuzz grunge shit that he's been working for the last 36 days straight? It so. would be really annoying to talk to somebody who, like, is Googling everything about you while you're talking to them and, like, yeah. spitting those facts back to you. Yeah. Um, Hero points out that Juanita wanted Hero to meet this guy and it seemingly pauses Lagos in his tracks briefly. Um, and it makes sense then because Hero knows the metaverse pretty well. And then Hero says, well, no one wants freelance hackers anymore. And Lago says, the corporate assembly line hackers are suckers for infection. They're going to go down by the thousands, just like Sinashrib's army before the walls of Jerusalem. Yeah, he says, you can't defend yourself in reality, too. Uh, or he said, no, you can defend yourself in reality, too. That'll be good if you ever go up against Raven. Remember, his knives are as sharp as a molecule. They'll go through a bulletproof jacket like lingerie. And it's, I mean, heroes still like Raven. Who? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like heroes got to be like enough of the fucking Raven, man. Who yeah. is this guy? Uh, uh, and uh, also, we learned that heroes seemingly especially vulnerable to what Lagos is concerned about. He says, "You're a hacker. That means you have deep structures to worry about too." And here says, "Deep structures." And he says, "Neurolinguistic pathways in your brain." Uh, and it's basically like because he learned binary code, he like kind of you know the the neurons and axons in his brain is like reformatted themselves to better understand like how to like program and so he says you're invulnerable all hackers are vulnerable to a nam shub what is yeah. a nam shub so lagos you know he asked him that what is a nam shub and lagos tells him just don't stare into a bitmap 
anytime soon. And has anyone offered you one lately? And he's like, oh, uh, someone like a brandy offered one to my friend recently. And Lago says, a cult prostitute of Asherah trying to spread the disease, which is synonymous of evil. Sound melodramatic? Not really. You know, to the Mesopotamians, there was no independent concept of evil, just disease and ill health. Evil was a synonym for disease. So what does that tell you? <laughs> a hero walks away the same way he walks away from psychotic street people <laughs> who follow him down the street. And this guy's yelling after him. It tells you that evil is a virus. Don't let the NAM chub into your operating system. And he's just like, why the fuck is Juanita working at this guy? I mean, I, I feel like I don't have an answer right now, but the thing we need to start plugging into this podcast is like off the cuff casting. Oh my who, God. Who would play Lagos? Um, Jack Black. I don't know. <laughs> like the, for some reason that to me, or like, um, oh, what's his face? Milton, uh, Steven Root. Oh, uh, he might feel too old, but but yeah, I, yeah. I, I picture someone like that. I guess I, I thought you were going to ask me about Hero, which like I had no answer for. Oh, I have no idea. I, I, no I think idea. you're you're probably some up and coming unknown. I mean, Hero. Yeah. Some of some of the characters in this have such specific nationalities that, like, you know, you'd have to like really go out there and, and find some unknown talent that can pop. Yeah, I would say let's just take it for for red. I mean, I think this would be an interesting concept to work on the podcast, but let's just take it as red that like we're not going to attempt it with Hero and YT. I mean, YT would it would be like Sir Michelle Geller when she was fifteen or something, you know? Like I, I think like that. But but now obviously, uh-huh. like I don't I don't know who that. I have no idea who like fifteen year old actresses are, but it'd be you know someone very the, young. The new wrinkle. I mean, they'd probably be like be, eighteen or nineteen, of course, because the new wrinkle would be, of course, like like a nineties casting. Oh this. gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah. still Sir Michelle Keller, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Hero can't believe that Juanita is working at this alien. So, like, like he predicted, blunt force trauma plays for an hour straight, never taking a break, just an unending wall of noise with no crevices or crack as part of their aesthetic. Uh, only when they stop and they're done does Hero hear the exhalation of the crowd. Um, and then there's a loud noise, like this, like unending bass thing that keeps going. And from the book, we hear. It was a Harley with some kind of sidecar added with a sleek black projectile hanging off to the right, support of its own wheel. But no one is sitting in the sidecar. And oh shit, it's Raven. It's Raven, yeah. He appears to be totally necklace. His head starts out wide and just keeps getting wider until it merges with his shoulders. Uh, the, the idea that, that he says there's no way a person could be this big and bulky and not be fat. Yeah, it's like you, you'd think he'd be fat, but no, he's just massive. He's riding. He looks too big for this Harley that he's riding on, even though it's like a big-ass Harley. Um, and it, as heroes kind of marveling at this dude, this guy looks back at him and like, like kind of looks at him head to toe. Um, and he, he gives hero the same fucky smile they sported earlier tonight when hero was standing in the entryway the, to the black sun and he was in a public terminal somewhere. This is the guy Raven. This is the guy Juanita is looking for the guy log is total not to mess with. And hero has seen him before outside the entrance to the black sun. This is the guy who gave snow crash card to David. Same fuck you smile. Yeah, I to me, so uh, my own medicine, it would be the mountain playing this guy, but dressed like Danzig. <laughs> Which mountain? The the second mountain, the last mountain. The third mountain one? Mountain three. The third mountain. Yeah. Okay. But, but dressed like Danzig. Mother. Um, yeah, so Raven. Raven. Uh, on his massive forehead. fucking dude. Yeah, on his forehead. What does he have written? Three words tattooed in big block letters. Poor impulse control. <laughs> we get a little download about how like they're the justice system with these franchlets and bird claves, like there's only so much they can do to somebody. Uh, so they need like these quick and dirty public punishments like flogging or confiscation of property, public humiliation, or in the case of people who have a high potential of going on to hurt others, a warning tattoo on a prominent body part. So at some point Raven has pissed off somebody in one of the bird claves and they've tattooed poor impulse control across his forehead to let other people, you know, give them a warning about like what this guy's deal is. Which is a fascinating concept in a world that has like super internet, like globally connected, and yet mm-hmm. you almost have these medieval fiefdom rules. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the meltdowns have started playing, and their first song was called "Radiation Burn." Yes, I wonder what they uh, would sound like. I don't know, but in my mind, like when I prodigy, first read that, I don't know. I, it, it's not not right at all. But I I went and put on "Radiation Vibe" by Fountains oh, yeah, of Wayne. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just some power pop. Yeah. Um, so Hero realizes yeah. that this is why Lagos is here. He's not interested in Hero over Tally Chernobyl. He's interested in Raven. And somehow he knew Ra- Raven was going to be here. 
Yeah. He's probably doing radar scans, trying to figure out what's in Raven's pockets and recording his pulse and respiration. Oh, it is mentioned that Hero sees like the red laser grid on Raven's face. So like he knows that Lagos just scanned him. Yeah. So Hero calls YT, tells her something's going on. He's watching this biker named Raven. And she says, that's the problem with you hackers. You never stop working. And he's like, that's what a hacker is. So she says, I'll keep an eye on him too. Sometime when I'm working and hangs up. Yeah. And that is the end of chapter 15. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so... A lot of download. A lot of download of El Bobrif and whatnot, yeah. Which yeah. is going to be a, a thing that will happen in this book where, like, the action will be moving around, along and it's like, all right, now Hero's going to go back to the librarian in, in the metaverse and just talk to him for three chapters. It's a thing where I, I don't know if you could say that the mix of action to to info dump is is appropriate, but it's it's the style. It's, it's how yeah. Stevenson works. I mean, I think he uh, definitely gets better at it as books go on but yeah this mm. is i mean he had two books before this he had the big U, which is the only one i've never read which i think he's i wouldn't say he's disowned it but he's basically like please don't go try it's out of print please don't go try buying a copy of that online for a lot of money like it's not very good basically is what he said himself like we, he doesn't we, want people to read it and i think we've joked that'll be our first patreon series yeah and then there's also zodiac which i have read which is pretty weird and wild it's all about like it's like eco uh activist in boston like fighting against like a polluting company and it's the little like the the raft little boat yeah yeah zodiac Zodiac is in a zodiac boat Mm. or inflatable raft yeah is this is snow crash before or after the two books he wrote with his uncle uh i don't know i so i I guess i could say i haven't read those either like all those like i have them but i've never read them maybe maybe i'll get to that at some point like the the um i can't even think of the names of them right now one of them's cobweb cobweb yeah that's what it is oh, the other's interface mm-hmm. and then he also has those uh, mongoliad ones i haven't read any of those either mm-hmm. all right so you've been reading ahead mm-hmm. how far until the big you know sumerian download i haven't gotten there yet i'm only like like 10 or so chapters ahead i think right now so i haven't gotten okay. there yet so 17 um, through 20 there'll be some some action involving raven coming up we can say that Excellent. So this will, we, I think we alluded to this in the first episode where heroes are badass main character, but we, we talked about how there's a real badass coming up. It's, yeah. it's Raven. It's Raven. This massive dude who rides around on a Harley. We won't tell you what's in the sidecar yet. We'll save that for next time. <laughs> but there's something special in that sidecar on his Harley. <laughs> you sound like uh, Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights. There's just something in that sidecar waiting to come out. <laughs> All right, All right well, so we're again, cooking. If, yeah, if you have any feedback, send it to uh, nsbc at headcanon.org. And we'll be back next week to talk about chapters 16 through 20. Mm-hmm. Peace. Later.